Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. Have you ever found yourself down a path you didn't intend to be on? Maybe you lost your job because of COVID-19 or had to move suddenly, or maybe you found yourself in a relationship that isn't feeling healthy anymore and you're not sure what to do next. On today's show, we are discussing how to find your way when you are feeling lost or stuck. To help me out, I'm talking to Jenny Lee, a recognized expert in the fields of yoga therapy and spiritual living. As a certified yoga therapist, Jenny has taught classical yoga and meditation for over 20 years and coaches private clients in practices that integrate spirituality on mental, emotional, and physical levels. She is also an award-winning author of the books True Yoga, Practicing with the Yoga Sutras for Happiness and Spiritual Fulfillment, and Breathing Love, Meditation and Action. And her newest book, Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution, is slated to come out September 8th. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah. So happy to be here with you. Oh, so happy to have you. So what is yoga therapy? Mm. So yoga therapy is the application of the entire science of yoga to individuals or groups sometimes, but it's often delivered in a one-to-one setting for the purpose of helping people to find the tools and practices that will enable them to come into the greatest integration, balance, peace in their life on all levels, mental, physical, and spiritual. And ultimately, you know, yoga is that reunification of our consciousness with our highest and most divine self. So it, there are many practices in the, in the realm of yoga, but yoga therapy is really that more individualized, targeted approach to what it is that any one of us needs within that grand scope of what yoga is at, at any given time. I love it. What inspired you to start coaching? Oh, gosh. Well, I've been practicing yoga for over 30 years, I think now, something close to that at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been the avenue that has just taken me to such healing in my own personal life. Um, The tools have and practices of yoga have really enabled me to get through a lot of major life transitions, a lot of losses and times of depression. And so I wanted to work in a in a therapeutic way. I I owned a yoga studio and have taught yoga classes for many, many years, but um, I really enjoy working in at that deeper level with individuals where we can get deeper into their story and the transitions that they're in and, and look at the practices that can really meet them in this moment. So um, it came from a very personal place in of my journey and just wanting to share what has helped me so much. Yeah. Um, Do you still own the yoga studio? No, the yoga studio I owned back in the Boston area for about 10 years in a little town called Newburyport. Uh, Shout out to my community back there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All wonderful yogis, many of whom I'm still in touch with. 
But uh, when I moved to Hawaii, I decided to focus on the yoga therapy and the individual um, practice that I offer. So mostly been coaching since I've been here for the last 10 years. Okay. So do you meet them in person? I mean, I know not now probably because of COVID, but were you meeting them in person or is it just like all online or by phone? Yeah. So it's been a mixture. I have actually have clients all over the world. So even before the times of COVID, I was working on Zoom and Skype and all of the platforms that we have to connect with people far away, sometimes on video, sometimes just on an audio call. It really depends on what the person has going on. And if we need a physical practice to support them, or if it's a more counseling based session, then we might just be on an audio call. But Obviously now, even my local clients have switched to, to, to the Zoom platform, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's wonderful because it really is something that I can share with people wherever they are, and I love being able to connect with people all over the world. So, Did you start out as a psychologist and kind of add the yoga into your counseling services, or did the yoga come first? The yoga came first first, but it was kind of a simultaneous journey. I I discovered yoga many years ago, um, the physical practice of yoga Mm -hmm. many years ago back in California. And sort of simultaneously, I would say almost within six to eight months of one another, I also discovered a program in spiritual psychology. So, And as I got through the first year of that master's program, I was trying to make the determination as to you know, what I wanted to do career-wise and if I wanted to go ahead and get my certifications for going into clinical practice. And the in studying yoga philosophy and practicing the physical aspects of yoga, I just found this beautiful, holistic approach to human life that yeah. I felt that it was everything that I wanted to do in a therapeutic setting with people and just encompassed so much more than what I saw in terms of traditional psychotherapy at that time. And so I took a slight turn and just decided to create my own version of yoga therapy. So within the category of yoga therapy, there are many different uh, practitioners, just like Mm. there are in the world of yoga. Some people specialize more in the physical therapeutic side of yoga therapy. I specialize more in that psycho-spiritual end of the spectrum because that's my love and interest. Okay. And was there any particular asana practice or style that you were teaching before, like Iyengar or uh, Ashtanga? Or I have been a hybrid my whole teaching career. I've studied Kundalini and Kripalu and Yin and Restorative and Ashtanga and vinyasa and all of it. And so my, when I was teaching classes, they tended to be mostly a vinyasa style, but with some kundalini mixed in and as some more restorative practices mixed in. So it's really been a mixture over the years. Cool. What are some of the most common reasons that people hire you or are drawn to your particular kind of therapy? Well, on my website, which is my name, JennyLeeYogatherapy.com, I have a pretty 
thorough explanation of who I am as a coach and, and what my approach is. And I think when people stumble upon that, they resonate or not, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not the right coach for everyone. No one is, but I've tried to portray on the website really who I am and what brought me to this practice and what I hope to share with my clients. One of the things that's really important for people to know is that I'm not somebody who's just going to give them easy answers and pat them on the back and send them out the door. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, the reason I wrote Spark Change, the, <laughs> the book that's coming out in September, is that it is kind of based on my yoga therapy practice that I've offered to clients over the many years, mm. um, which is it's in-depth questions and in-depth self-reflection or swadhyaya, mm-hmm. um, the, that practice of introspection that we're taught about in the yoga sutras. And I feel that this is incredibly critical for anyone's healing journey. You know, no one has the answers out there. And if they tell you that they do, they're, they're not being truthful with you, you know, because my answers aren't necessarily right for you and your answers aren't necessarily right for the next person. But I believe we each have our right answers within. So my job as a coach is to help people to come to their own answers and to understand the process of what it takes to get to that inner knowing. Because when we have a true inner knowing, then we can navigate everything that life throws at us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just have to trust yourself. One, I think that's huge. And what we're, you know, going to start talking about right now is, is have the right questions to ask, right? Trusting yourself is huge because (laughs) most people don't. Right. And there are reasons why they don't. And mm-hmm. often that's a big part of the exploration that I take with them is, well, why don't you trust yourself? Right. And, and I think that's and how a, can we get you back there? Yeah. And I think that's wh- why a lot of people go to therapy is because they don't trust themselves. So they trust this other person to give them the answers. But, and mm-hmm. so what I like about your approach and a lot of therapists approach really is, is that they're they're not going to give you the answers. They're, they're going to help you figure out the answers on your own and figure out why you don't trust your own instincts or you know what, what happened to where you don't feel like you have the answers within anymore. So let's talk about your new book, Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. You open the book with a quote from Albert Einstein that says, the important thing is to not stop questioning. And then you follow that quote in the first chapter by stating that the ability to question oneself is fundamental to personal growth. And then you go on to explain another idea that Einstein proposed, which is that finding the right question to your challenge is actually the most difficult part. But once you find that right question, you can solve your problem actually very quickly. So how has the power of questioning helped you to grow professionally and personally? And what ended up being the right question for you? Oh, a lot of questions in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this, this episode is all about questions. So <laughs> I'm not going to give any answers, right? It's just going to be questions the whole time. <laughs> so let me see. I'm, I am a pretty good listener. Let me see if I can track with all of those questions. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me start. So let me start over. So 
How has the power of questioning helped you to grow professionally and personally? Okay. Uh, so I, I think like many children, I started as a consummate questioner by the time I was three years old and some kids grow out of it and some kids don't. And I think often that depends on the parents and whether the parents are encouraging of that child's curiosity and their questioning or not. I was fortunate to have a mom who was encouraging of that and she really helped foster the love of learning. And so I've been self-taught in a lot of different things in my life. And it's because I love learning and I'm, I'm curious. And so I'm always asking questions. I'm asking questions of anybody who knows me knows that I ask them questions all the time. <laughs> I'm always digging in for something so no, else. Nobody was surprised when you came out with this book. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think my husband particularly sometimes would like me to take a break, but <laughs> there's no, no breaks for him. <laughs> always another question on the table but yeah I just I love questions and um, I actually have a teacher who is like an encyclopedia he's amazing and I actually came up with a question that stumped him Whoa. and to this day he talks about it in his classes he talks about you know this girl who asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to. And I love that. I, I actually really, I get completely jazzed by questions. And I've been a journaler my whole life and been very self-reflective, I think, by nature. So in doing my personal kind of process to bring this book forward, I went back and I looked through like 30 years of journals of my own. And it was amazing, like the themes that just kept coming up over and over that I would question, 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 mm. I would just go back to and try to look at it from a slightly different angle and a slightly different question. It, it was, uh, it's just always been a process that has led me to my own understanding of myself and the world around me and people. I'm really fascinated by people and what makes them tick and what hangs them up and how we're the same and how we're different. And I'm always looking for the ways in which I can understand more deeply the human psyche. Yeah. And so what was the question that stumped your teacher? Oh, it was something specific to uh, a, it was, it's a yoga philosophy um, course that I was in and it had to do with a passage in autobiography of a yogi that's referencing, I don't even remember it now, honestly, to tell you the truth, it, uh, this, the question specifically, but it mm -hmm. had to do with some stages, stages of evolution, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. But it's, it's a really random reference. And uh, Yogananda, you know, he's such a prolific writer. Mm -hmm. and he is my master teacher. And so it was interesting to find something that, you know, I couldn't then reference in some other piece of his work to get a deeper explanation. Mm. <laughs> and so you were trying to find it within this teacher and he was like, I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then my other question was, what ended up being the right question for you? And maybe that could mean like, what was the question that got you to where you are now as a coach or got you to Hawaii or? Oh gosh. Well, so many questions, right? Depending <laughs> on the time of, 
life and where I was at, but I'll share uh, the question. I talk about this in the introduction to the books, um, but the question that has really been burning in my soul for over two decades is how do I keep the flame of personal evolution toward love alive in my heart? And how do I ignite the spark of spiritual awakening in others? And then I say, okay, I know that's two questions, but they all run, to, they run together as one in mine because we're all one. So my growth it facilitates your growth and yours facilitates mine. And so really, I don't believe that we can evolve in a vacuum. We're evolving together. And it's, it's really that, you know, how do I just keep going with this process of personal growth and how do I help others do the same? Yeah. And so I guess that that's just like an ongoing question that you probably ask yourself almost every day. It is. It's yeah. an ongoing question that just sparks more and more questions depending on the day because as times change, who knew that we would be in a, you know, what's being called a pandemic right now. Right. And so things are things are certainly we're certainly being called to ask deeper questions, I think, than ever before. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to have this book coming out in September. And, you know, divine timing being what it is, Spark Change was supposed to come out in April. Hmm. And back at the early part, no, sorry, late part of last year, the publisher decided to push the release to September. And I was unhappy about it at the time because it meant a longer wait between when I had completed the manuscript and when it would be out in the world. Mm -hmm. And who knew it would be just right on time. Seriously. <laughs> September. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if someone is feeling lost, it probably means that they are in the midst of a big change or are in need of change. And in chapter one, you listed the basic requirements for change. What I'd like to do is read, the, read this list and talk about each one a little bit more detail, if that's okay with you. Yep, go ahead. Awesome. Okay, so first I'm just going to list them off and then we'll go into each one. So these are the seven basic requirements for change. Number one, recognize the need for it. Number two, believe it is possible. Number three, want it badly enough to do the work required. Number four, be willing to move through any fear that arises. Number five, ask for help if needed. Number six, be patient and self-compassionate. And number seven, surrender attachment to a specific outcome. So number one, recognize the need for it. I think along these same lines is also admitting there's a need for it. With the clients you have worked with who have felt stuck, were they stuck because it took them a long time to figure out that they needed to make a change and figure out what that change was? Or had they recognized for a long time that they needed to make a change, but were too scared to admit it? I think by the time someone comes to me, they recognize that they have a need for change. They're mm -hmm. seeking help. Anybody who steps into any kind of therapy or any kind of energy work or anything else is probably aware that something needs to change. Now, they might not have clarity on exactly what that is, or they might be coming in with one thing when really there's a bigger 
elephant in the room. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes the present, I call it the presenting issue is not really the issue and mm-hmm. we've got to get down to the root cause or the, the root problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly if they've come to coaching, then they are aware that something needs to change. So I, to answer your question, I guess really it's more like they're just not that clear or there are multiple things. So it's a a little uncertain how to proceed forward. Right. And so, I mean, I guess that's what we're trying to figure out today. You know, these people who come in and and they're like, I know I got to make a change, but I, I don't know what to do or I'm feeling stuck or like, what is the, what do you do first to try to kind of like initially attack this, this problem? I mean, there's no formula because every individual is different. So mm-hmm. my process is first to do a pretty thorough intake about where they are in their life, what challenges are on their plate, what obstacles they feel are standing in their way, what they've tried so far, how they're experiencing things in their body, Uh, what sort of support system that they have, you know, we're looking at kind of the big picture of their life first. Mm -hmm. And then usually by the time I do a a thorough intake like that, I'm starting to get information and people will often just ramble. Like they'll just go here and there and they'll, they'll say like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm all over the map. And I'm like, go, no, go, go. (laughs) Please take me all over the map. That's how you uncover like the secret things that, yeah, yeah, get the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the skills that I bring to the table is the ability to hold the space for all of that moving around the whole map and then very quickly bring it all together into a focal point. Mm. That is a talent. That's been reflected to me many times. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And people are like, how did you get that? That's exactly it. Yes. (laughs) And I think it's just because I have listened to so many people. And um, there are themes, you know, there are patterns in human experience. We're really not that different from one another. Mm -hmm. And so you learn kind of what often is behind certain presenting issues. And so then I can ask those more targeted questions to draw out that deeper history, the deeper experience of what might be lurking behind that presenting issue that they're coming in for, because we really have to kind of start at the origin. And it's not always, you know, your parents didn't always screw you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> being a parent, I know like their parents are responsible for a lot of things, but we're each on our individual journeys. And ultimately, if you're in your twenties or thirties and you're in therapy, like hold accountability, it's not your parents' fault. Even if they screwed up, which I'm sure that they did, we all did. And, um, but you know, we're each on our journey and that's the deck of cards you were handed. And so now what are you going to do with it? Because it's your job to decide what you're going to do with that deck of cards. Mm-hmm. And I'm big on the accountability factor. And it's interesting because, you know, to your question about, is it that people are afraid to change? And that is, we are going to get to that. I know in this list, but can I jump ahead (laughs) or go? I won't jump ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) You go to the next one. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) Listeners right now are like, Oh, but wait, what was she going to say? Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll stay in order then just uh, for continuity here. Okay. (laughs) Um, Number two is believe it is possible. So what if you want to change, 
you keep telling yourself it's possible, maybe you're writing affirmations every day and you're using manifestation techniques, but deep down, you really don't believe it is possible. How can you achieve this step in this case? Yeah, so this is the critical uh, issue is that deep down, you don't believe it's possible. So you've yeah. got to be really honest with yourself. And I'll just give a personal example of this. So when I moved here to Hawaii, I moved here as a single mom mm -hmm. and I was dating and I kept dating kind of unavailable men. Any women out there <laughs> relate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some heads nodding. Oh yeah. But I, you know, at a, I kept saying, like, I want a committed relationship. I really want a life partner. I am available, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that the part of me that was not available. So there, I believe people are our reflections. So if, if I keep dating unavailable men, I've got to look at what part of me is not available. Mm. And in looking at what part of me was not available, it was this doubting part. It was the part that didn't believe that a long-term, healthy, balanced, committed relationship was possible for me. I thought it was possible for everybody else. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was possible for me. And it really took quite a many works in the journal and asking the question, like, why am I keep dating unavailable men over and over and over that... I, I came to it. It's like the big aha. And as soon as I totally admitted to myself this disbelief that I was holding, then I, then I could work on it. Mm -hmm. so, we, so first is be truthful with yourself. If you really doubt, then I don't care how many affirmations you do, you're not going to get through that doubt. Yeah. How do you get through the doubt? Well, you make your will to believe stronger than the doubt. And there's a chapter on will in the book and willingness, um, willpower and willingness. And it is a muscle. It's a muscle that we build. And so affirmations are a really interesting thing because they're widely used in the yoga community. Mm -hmm. And I certainly teach them uh, and use them, but they're useless unless there is incredible will force behind them. Mm -hmm. And so we have to learn how to develop our will to bust through the doubt and the disbelief. And does that have to do with action or like, like, okay, I guess will would be like, like you're willing to actually do it. Will is energy. Okay. It's, it's mind. It's mental energy mm -hmm. that's then put into action in different ways but it's really an internal process. It's a, it's a mental muscle. Okay. So in I don't want to give the whole chapter away. Oh, okay. <laughs> buy the book. <laughs> I love it. Okay. We'll keep it as a cliffhanger. So yes. <laughs> you don't get the whole teaching in this podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. All right. Okay. This is good. All right. Let's go on to number three then. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's gonna hate me. They're gonna be like, "What is this?" But um, <laughs> if, no, it's true. I mean, this is work that needs to be done on your own or with a therapist too. But but I think you know that's why this book is so great. Is because you can buy this book, 
and you can sit at home and you can grab your journal. And this is the stuff. These are the questions that you ask to reflect within so that you can hear what your intuition is telling you. And, um, and one thing I'll say about the questions, just because people might not have um, an idea of the format of the book, but mm -hmm. so it's not just a list of questions. Mm -hmm. The questions are there, but then after each question is kind of an explanation of how to engage with it and how mm -hmm. to go deeper into it. Cool. So just so you how know, you're not the question. Yeah, you're not left hanging. Like, <laughs> oh, here's the question. Good luck. Well, that was going to be one of my other questions. Like, what happens if you don't know the answer? <laughs> That's okay. Like, and I, man, I failed this too. book miserably. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, no. No, we talk about that in the introduction. There's no failing the book and you don't have to have all the answers. Okay. <laughs> really, truly. <laughs> okay, number three is want it badly enough to do the work required. So this is a big one. I think a lot of people probably stop after number two because this part is so difficult. And I think there, there's a couple of different ways you can define work here. One is to learn how to do something new, like maybe learning a new skill or learning how to develop a new habit or break an old one. And you know, this, this can involve academic work and or physical work. And the other kind of work is doing the internal work that coincides with this change. So this is the kind of work that enables you to change your ways or beliefs or maybe even questions your values so you can make changes that enable you to live in better alignment with those values. So I'm curious, what kind of work do you see your clients having the most trouble with and what kinds of questions do they need to ask themselves in order to get through this step? You're a great question asker, I have to say, Sarah. <laughs> You're a very good interviewer and a very good question asker. <laughs> We need to well, thank you. I mean, coming from somebody who just wrote a book about questions, that um, that that means a lot to me. Thank you. No, it's great. <laughs> um, well, really, what I see happening most is that people they might get to the right questions for themselves, but this point, this point about wanting it badly enough to do the work required, is that people think that change is going to be easier than it is. I mean, I hate to burst mm. anybody's bubble here, but there's no easy button. Yeah. And I have had clients do one session with me and never come back because I'm not going to BS them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell them what's required to make the changes. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not willing to do it, they're going to go elsewhere and look for something that feels easier. Mm -hmm. And there are therapies that, you know, you don't have to engage as much with, but I don't believe they're going to take you as far towards happiness and the sense of purpose and the sense of deep inner knowing and inner peace that that some of the processes that I offer do. So uh and I right. say that only because I've done it myself. Like I've done the inner work myself and I know how hard it is, but I also know what the payoff is. So I'm just not gonna lie to anybody and and tell them that it's easy. I mean meditation is a good example. Yes. If anybody tells you meditation is easy, well yeah, 
you it's easy enough to sit there for 10 minutes sort of but it's that's not meditation and to really get deep into the practice and to hit the state of being that is meditation which is you know the yoga sutras talk about meditation as a state of being it's not the practice of sitting down on the cushion for 10 minutes it's mm -hmm. the state of inner stillness that we achieve maybe for some minuscule period of time after decades of work so <laughs> there's the there's the not easy button that this that we're talking about here mm -hmm. but but you know having been a meditation teacher and practitioner for many years i i also will be the first one to say it's absolutely worth it those 10 seconds of true peace or true bliss that i've hit at times are absolutely worth every single day that i sat there in restless mind and restless body and you know doing the doing the daily mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know like going back to what you were saying about some people only come to you once and then they never come back those are the types of people that they want whatever is going to make them feel better in the moment but like you said because they're not doing the hard work it's it's not going to one, it's not going to last. And two, it, it's not going to unveil the deep core issue that they can fix that's going to help them move forward with their change. Right. And it's not going to give them the tools It's uh, to handle challenges that come up in the future. Right. I mean, it's like the old adage of, do you give the person the fish or do you teach them how to fish? Right. So I would rather teach somebody how to move through challenge than just fix the challenge that's in front of them. Right. Because challenges are going to keep happening all day, every day for the rest of your life. <laughs> yes, so. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, the people who are actually doing pretty well are the ones that are like really good at like handling these challenges. And the people who are not doing so well are the ones that keep trying to avoid them by taking the easy way out. Yeah. 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 And we live in a culture of addiction. I mean, it's addiction is just that, you know, attempt to escape from the hard work. And anybody who's dealt with any form of addiction at all will tell you that, you know, it's hard work to break that cycle and there's no easy button. Nobody is going to do that for you. Yeah. Okay. Number four is be willing to move through any fear that arises. So in the book, you talk about how Avoiding taking the responsibility to change keeps us stuck in inner conflict, which creates anxiety. And I've also noticed in my own life that when I'm struggling to make a change that I desire, that also creates anxiety. So what is the practice that you teach your clients and students that enable them to move through fear and anxiety? Well, so anxiety is this, this inner conflict. Anxiety often arises when there's more than one thing pulling for our attention or when there's something that's not aligned within us. So in the topic that we're on today, so we know we have, we know we need to make this change, but then we also know it's going to be really hard. So then we're not doing the work, but then we're still being pulled towards the need for change because we know we need it. So then mm -hmm. there's this anxiety that arises within because we're straddling the fence and mm. we can't go back to ignorance 
because the knowing that we need to change has already awoken Mm -hmm. and there's no going back once it's awoken. So, but it's hard to embark on the process. So we sit with that one foot over the fence in the old and one foot over the fence in the new. And this kind of goes back to number two about the will, because we have to develop the capacity to move with fear forward. You know, it's the definition of courage is not, not having fear. It's having fear, but doing it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is a muscle. It's a mental muscle to, to be able to act within reason. I mean, there's fear that is reasonable. We don't want to jeopardize our health and safety or that of our loved ones, but there's psychological fear that really stops us. So we have to be able to walk with that psychological fear towards change. And that just takes practice. So, so you asked about how do I help people get through this? Well, it's, it's kind of like baby steps, right? We, we just create ways in which people can start to approach smaller bits of change. So Hmm. something small every day, and then you begin to build that muscle, just like you would build the muscle lifting a weight. You start small when you work up. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the smart approach. Okay. Number five is ask for help if needed. I think this can be really difficult for some people too. Like if I ask for help, do I look incompetent? Who should I trust to ask for help from? Now, what advice do you give clients with questions like these? This is definitely the hardest one for some people. Other people, you know, find it really easy to ask for help, maybe even to a fault. They might ask for too much help and not take personal accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one is kind of speaking to those people who might have the difficulty asking and you're right. It's the difficulty asking is often because there is some sense of shame around the ask or some fear around looking vulnerable or incompetent or something else. But anybody who has walked through their own processes of change knows that we don't operate in a vacuum. We don't do it all on our own. We are all absolutely needing a support system. And so it's, really about the process of discernment to your point about who to ask, how to ask, when to ask, how much to ask, all of that. And that is part of the clarification process. So when I'm working with somebody who is initiating change in their life, you know, a big part of it is getting clear first on what needs changing and, and what they need to do to get to that point. So all of those those kind of sub questions get asked and answered within that process of clarification, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's also part of the how, right? Like, how am I going to make the change? So who are you going to get help from would be one of those yeah. questions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number six, be patient and self-compassionate. So most of us just want the answer. <laughs> right? We, we just want to know what the outcome will be so we can move on with our lives. And it's hard not to beat ourselves up when we keep coming up against roadblocks. So what do you tell your clients that keep trying over and over again, trying new things, different approaches, and nothing seems to work? Well, there's a couple different things here. So we change doesn't happen overnight 
for anybody, usually. No, nothing, you know, moves that quickly in the realm of um, the physical. So patience is just a part of the practice for everybody who's in any kind of transition. Self-compassion, which is the second part of this one, is also really important and difficult for a lot of people to understand because we're we are our own hardest critics were super judgmental it's like why haven't why can't i do this why haven't i been able to do this and we quickly move into those places where we actually set ourselves back through that self-judgment or self-criticism and yeah. so the patience and self-compassion are kind of two sides of the same coin of just recognizing that change is a process and it's going to take the time that it takes and we've just got to be gentle with ourselves as we go through it. Yeah. I've now lost track of the other question that you asked though. So <laughs> tell me it again. Oh, um, what do you tell your clients? They, they keep trying new things and, and different approaches, but nothing seems to work. So what do you, what do you, what advice do you give them? Well, we, I don't give them advice. We would look at why what they are doing isn't working and whether they're a, whether their end goal is maybe misdirected, maybe they, they've chosen the wrong end goal, or because it could be that they, they're heading towards the wrong end goal, or it could be that their steps to get there are Banged not up. what they need to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is actually, this is really important, I think, these two things here, because, you know, for somebody who's stuck, it's true. It's maybe their end goal is what needs to be changed. And then, like you said, also, it, it could be just that, you know, the end goal is fine, but they're, the action steps that they've decided to take to get there are just not the right ones. They're, they're just, they're, those, that's what's not working. So they need to revisit there's also, those. There's also something about timing too. And mm. we're not the only determinant of how change happens. So back to the example of the book release and divine timing and it, you know, as much as it wouldn't have mattered what I did to work towards getting the book out, there were other factors and other people and other things within the grand schema of the publishing world that just made that end goal not happen on the timing that I initially thought it would. So to the point of patience, sometimes we might have the right end goal and we might be doing all the right things, but it's just not the right time. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a practice around being willing to stay in the unknowing. And we're certainly all kind of in that right now. I know I have certain projects that are out there on the horizon and I've done everything that I know how to do. And I've d d taken myself through what we just talked about, like reassessing the end goal. Maybe the end goal is not right. Let's look at that. Let's look at what I'm doing to get there. Okay. I feel like I'm on target, but it's just timing. Mm -hmm. So, and then when it's just timing and you've kind of realized that, do you set that goal down and, like revisit it later or do you just, or are you just like, okay, I'm just, I just know that this is going to take probably a lot longer than I thought. Well, why don't you read number seven? <laughs> number seven. I love you. Okay. Number seven, surrender attachment to a specific outcome. So this one is really tough when there's a specific outcome you really want. 
and <laughs> and it's not happening. <laughs> yes, right. One thing that has worked for me is to open the possibilities of many good outcomes. So maybe you you have a goal, but you have to kind of like make many variations of that goal. And so that if one doesn't work out, there's always another. I find that helpful sometimes. And then I, you know, I think that life doesn't always work out the way we want, but if we can be open to something that we didn't originally envision, sometimes we find out that it's just as good, if not better than the thing we had originally had our heart set on. I think that's great. That's great. That's a beautiful explanation on this one. Yeah. It's, um, you know, non-attachment is definitely a practice Santosha in within the yoga teachings. And we really have to recognize that sometimes amidst all of our best efforts and really right action, right? Tapas our right action. Mm -hmm it's just not going to happen the way we think it's going to happen. And we are meant to practice non-attachment because the form is constantly changing. And you're right. There are so many forms, so many possibilities and possible outcomes that really can be okay. And more than okay, that can be great. But we get really fixated on a certain thing, a certain way it needs to be, a certain goal a certain look of a person that we're going to meet on, you know, at X time in our life. And we're going to have a certain type of family or structure of life. And really it, it is detrimental to our evolutionary process to hold so tightly to those forms. Totally. Because then you force it to happen and then you may end up unhappy. Yeah. You either force it to happen the way you see it and you could potentially end up unhappy. Or if you try to force it to happen and it still doesn't happen, then you're just miserable. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, it's true. I mean, yeah. Whereas if you just stayed open and you're willing to entertain lots of different types of ideas and possibilities and give them a chance, then you could all of a sudden end up on this totally different path that you didn't even think of originally and end up like stoked, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but but you gotta be willing to entertain that crazy idea. Like, oh my God, like I don't I don't know if I could do that job or I don't know if this person's right for me. But like, you know, what if you just just see, you know, like what if you just like tried it out? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What if you just tried it out? And I think, you know, that also you have to be really, you have to be, you have to be really present to see when those opportunities arise because they aren't coming to you packaged the way you're looking for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, they're they're coming at you out of nowhere and you might miss them completely if you're not paying attention, really. Absolutely. Yes. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. What if you've read the questions? given yourself the time and space to meditate and think, ask for help, and you still don't know what you need or want, or you do, but you can't figure out how to make it happen. Sit some more. Okay. Just be still. I mean, 
there, it goes back to the question about timing, right? Because we think, okay, well, I've done this and this and this, and now I know, and here's what I'm going to do, but why isn't that happening? And we just, our perception and experience of time is just so not what time is. And mm -hmm. I am guilty of this. Like everyone else, I am a planner. I'm an organizer. When I get my head set on something, I, I work hard. I just lay it all out. I'm diligent. And then I'm frustrated because it's not happening as quickly as I think it should or saw it happening or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so the lesson, again, is just patience. So just sit some more. Yeah. That's Be so still. hard. I, I'm just like you. I'm like, and that's so hard for people like us. <laughs> yeah. I'm a type A. So hard. A type A. Yeah. Yes. You You're give like, me something to do, I'll do it. But don't yeah. tell me to sit there. So, I mean, being a med meditator and a meditation teacher, I totally understand why meditation is hard. It's mm -hmm. hard for me every single day. Yeah. And I know I need it. Yeah. I, you know, I come from the restaurant business and where everything was, you know, you needed everything yesterday. So it's like, that was like the deadline, <laughs> the deadline for when I need this is like, it's already passed, you know? So like basically like move your ass. And, um, so I've always just had that mentality ever since. So when, when I can't command that kind of an outcome where, you know, I look at a cook and be like, I need this now. And it's right in front of me. It's yeah, it's, it's really frustrating. You're like, okay, this is where I need to practice patience and know that that's not the real world. That's just that particular type of work environment and the real world doesn't necessarily work that way. Yeah. And we're certainly really being held into the fire of this practice right now because the world is not moving the way I would like it to move. Yes. I don't know about you, but yeah. you know, having to really be be patient and yeah no it's true it's like we, you know back in march we were like oh okay next month we should be fine <laughs> and now it's like here we are you know mid-july and talking about now like we may have to do this for another year maybe longer and it's like well and i think we've also seen the negative effects of moving into fast. action too fast yes right so people were super anxious to get out i know i'm anxious to get out i, I go out to, in nature and you know do the things that are responsible but to go back to bars and big groups it's not responsible and so it's going to have repercussions humans love to think that their actions don't have a consequence but they do <laughs> they absolutely do it's mm -hmm. karma for you yeah um, I wanted to talk about the number 108. So can you share with our audience, for anyone who may not know this, why the number 108 is such an auspicious number and why it comes up so much in yoga? Girl, <clears throat> this is in the book too. Okay. <laughs> Should we tell them just to buy the book? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. they could Google it, but... <laughs> They could Google it and they can also buy the book because there's a thorough uh, explanation of this in, in the introduction. But, okay. um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, suffice it to say that it is, um, it is a very symbolic number in many religions and philosophies. 
and it's the number of beads that are typically on a mala, and it, there's just a lot of symbolism. So rather than me try to enumerate all the different symbolisms, I think um, I'm just going to let them read about that. <laughs> cool. Any final words of advice for our listeners who are feeling lost or stuck? You don't have to stay lost and stuck. Humans are made for change. It is the nature of things. It's the nature of our world. It's the nature of nature. It's the nature of who we are. We're here to evolve and transform and shift constantly. Actually, to not change is just to stagnate and die. So the fact that you're feeling stuck right now, it's just temporary. You're going to get through it as long as you approach the process of change with some tools in your pocket and some willingness in your heart and a whole lot of courage, you absolutely can change anything that you set your mind to. I believe that. I love it. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you and where can we find your books? And so, and then also your, your new book is coming out September 8th. Can they pre-order that? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, so my website, again, is my name, Jenny Lee. So it's J-E-N-N-I-E-L-E-E, yogatherapy.com, Jenny Lee, yogatherapy.com. If you hop on my website, there's um, actually, you can get a free excerpt from the book. So just put your email in and that will come right out to you. And there will also be um, links where you can pre-order the book. It's available at all major booksellers. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, my publisher is Sounds True. You can buy it through their website um, or any independent bookstores. And there are links for all of those on the website, on the book page, as well as on the excerpt email if you sign up to get that excerpt. Um, I'd love to uh, have you do that to get a sneak peek inside. I'll also just say that, no, I won't because not <laughs> yeah, okay, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> Timing. Well, we'll, leave, we'll, keep, we'll keep with the theme of the show, which is like keeping them guessing, right? Keeping them wondering. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jenny. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a delight talking to you. You are a great question asker. <laughs> And uh, it's really been a lot of fun. So thank you. Thank you. Now, I'd love to hear from all you listeners out there. So please let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show, the team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you. So please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.